Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph Dory Basham, MD. Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. I thought you were going to sneeze down there. I was going to cough and sneeze at the same time. It was fun. Stifling that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Will political correctness kill classic movies? Psychologist will join us right after this. I think it's going to be fascinating to hear from Dr. Frida Birnbaum. Right after this with the family. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Play some Rolling Stones, man. That's all I know. We are back. Is Dr. Birnbaum ready to go? I'm getting I'm waiting. Just let me know. Let me know when she's ready to go. This would be a pretty interesting conversation, I think. The rise of political correctness can be seen across movie screens this weekend. The Hustle, a gender swap remake of 1988's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Rails against the patriarchy between sight gags. Avengers Endgame shoehorns a minor gay character into the story as a super, super virtue signal. Long shot shows Seth Rogen apologizing for the United States bombing Japan to help end World War II. Oh That's what I need is Seth Rogen apologizing yeah. for that. <laughs> Gee, I really, yeah, he's very, very impressive. He was such a talent when he was young, and now he just skates through every role he does. Yep. <laughs> hey, where was the Brad Sean Bryan commercial, Andy? What do you mean? People said they didn't hear Bradshaw and Bryant. Uh, we'll figure it out later. You mean Michael? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think it was J- Joe. Oh. Joe and Doc wanted to know where Bradshaw and Bryant was. Uh, I thought that break was rather short. But I think, oh, so. Oh, maybe we got all messed up with yeah. the fact that 
Doug did ahead and sent us a new commercial. Yeah. Way to go, Doug. Well, I can insert it later. It's Doug Sprinthal's fault all the way. That's all I have to say. Well, we'll, we'll wait until she gets back. She's trying to get a hold of Dr. Birnbaum right now, mm-hmm. and she had to leave the room to do it, so I don't know if her, her phone's not working properly or whatever the situation is. But I, I do know this whole, as soon as Dr. Birnbaum is ready to go, Dr. Frida Birnbaum, as a matter of fact, Political correctness, killing classic movies. Um, yeah, I, I, Catherine, you're the only woman in the room right now. Why do you think it is that everything has to change now? Because it's just, you know, because they can. So there's no real reason to do it. It's just I can do it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. And also because people are, you know, everything's a political ping pong ball right now. So yeah. it's just... I've got this idea, or I've got this friend who I want to support, and this is what we're going to do now. So, so why, why, why do we have libraries now? That's a good question. Why, 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 why do we have libraries? Because every, the majority of uh, books of the, from the past are, uh, have a variety of problems, misogynistic, uh, racist, I mean, a thousand things, a thousand lessons we're trying to learn and grow from. So, you know, they've taken uh, Huck, Huck Finn, and Tom Sawyer off the off the can't we reread that because of just the language that's in it, but that's not the only book that has that language, and it's not the bo- only book that you know portrays those kind of attitudes, right? Which are not not healthy, not positive. We we're trying to grow beyond that, although it's a long, long road to hoe uh, to get past all those things. But I I, I see where where do you stop? Oh, so where are you going to stop? Are we going to carry you know get rid of some well, movies? It's not going to stop. No. No way. It's not going to stop. It's, it's an interesting thing that's happening, though. I mean, you've got your school libraries, like you were talking about, that have, you know, um, the whole sections for the Somali population that lives in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's in them. I don't know what they teach. But generally, that mm-hmm. population is very conservative about yep. females and their roles in right. the, the world. Right. And then you're, you've got... People that just kind of want to wipe out anything that smacks of patriarchy. Yeah, they just want to wipe it out like it never existed, and we're just going to want to rewrite history. Well, it makes no sense. This has gone on in China. The uh, Tiananmen Square incident mm-hmm. has been what doesn't exist. Doesn't That's exist. right. It didn't exist. They, doesn't they exist just, anymore. Has right. never happened. Right. It never ready to go. happened. So, Doctor Frieda Birnbaum with us. How you doing, Doctor Birnbaum? I am fine, thank you. We're in big trouble now because we're, we started off talking to the show today uh, that uh, there's an article in the Vancouver Sun that uh, says basically that they should outlaw dodgeball because it's, uh, it's the vision of oppression, that playing dodgeball is oppression because those who are good at it oppress people who are not good at it. But I just thought that was sport. I, look, I mean, when I went to school, and you know, I've been out of school a long, long time, Doctor Birnbaum. But uh, if you didn't want to play dodgeball, you didn't have to play. Nobody forced you to do it. Uh, so, so now we we don't want to play dodgeball anymore because it's oppressive. Uh, we're just. I was just reading from from the uh, descriptor that was sent over to me, Doctor Frieda Birnbaum. Will political correctness kill classic movies? Uh, yeah, I, uh, is it going to kill all movies? I got to be honest with you, Dr. Birnbaum. Now I'm, uh, you know, I was born in 1951, so I don't like a lot of the movies that come out now. I, I, you know, the superhero things, I was never a superhero fan anyway. I'm not a big fantasy movie fan, unless you're talking about things like Dumbo. You know, I enjoy that kind of thing. 
But what is, why is this so important to people that we rewrite history? I don't really understand that. I think it's very sad uh, because politically speaking, we can't erase what happened. It only helps us right. to move forward and to see what we did wrong. If you remember some of the shows such as Archie Bunker, uh, where there was a lot about racial uh, discord, sexism, uh, homophobic uh, feelings, and we laughed at all of that. We were laughing at ourselves because that explained who we were at the time. Mm -hmm. But even with Archie Bunker, at, towards the end, he was mellowing out, and he was not giving as many racial slurs as he used to give. So we have to be able to laugh at ourselves as well. There used to be comedians who would give jokes about a Jews, a priest, and whoever, and we knew it was going. <laughs> we knew right. it was going to be funny. Yes. Already set up. Today, even with me, when I'm giving some kind of political agenda on the radio, or I'm talking about, I was talking about body shaming the other day, and I was going to say something funny because we're injecting our lips, we're injecting our, our rear ends, we're injecting everything. Soon we're going to look like a different race. I. I didn't say anything. I said, maybe I'm going to offend someone. Yeah. So, yes, we are second-guessing what we are saying. But here's the thing, and then I'm going to let you talk. The important thing is, are we doing it out of hatred today? Are we doing it to upset someone? Are we doing it because, as in the past often, we could laugh at ourselves? That is the whole deal, laughing at yourself. Uh Dr. Birnbaum, I grew up in a neighborhood that was Catholic, black, and, and Jewish. That's who lived in my neighborhood, right? It was Jews, Catholics, and black people. And we all got along famously. It was wonderful. And I was watching uh, The Tonight Show one time when I was very young. This is back when Johnny Carson was on The Tonight Show. And Alan King, who was a very, very funny comedian. I loved Alan King. He, he was great. He was phenomenal. I don't know if you're old enough to know who Alan King even is, Dr. Birnbaum. I'm too old, believe me. <laughs> you're too old? Okay. Well, he came out. Go ahead. He comes out on stage, and he, and he just goes to the mic, and he grabs the mic and goes, Born free, my father's a doctor. And some people didn't get the joke. I thought it was hilarious. That is funny. It's very funny, isn't it? But some people, they, they didn't laugh because they didn't understand. And I suppose maybe if you don't study other people. Do you think one of the problems we have, Dr. Birnbaum, is that we don't study other people's cultures and therefore find out what is funny to Jews, to black people, to Roman Catholics, to all, you know, to Lutherans and Protestants. And all. I, what I tried to find out, because I've been doing radio now for 48 years, I tried to find out what everyone thought was funny, and I didn't care about offending anyone. I'm sorry, but I just didn't. Yeah, and I, I watched Deaf Comedy Jam because that gave – well, Lindsay and I watched it because that gave us a sort of a window into black culture that we had never seen. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. because yep. they were they were they were talking about themselves, you know, being uh, introspective, being self-deprecating. I mean, they they were yep. you're you're seeing this and you go, man, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. And I've said before is that comedy must be the last bastion of free speech. It has to be. It has to be protected because yes, you offend some people because that's what comedians do, so that right. you can think about yourself and understand yourself better. Absolutely, and I think a great idea that you brought up could be that wouldn't it be great if we could 
study each other's cultures instead of studying our own. Instead of going to Sunday school, go ahead and go to church and find out how Christians view their religion. So we're brought up in a way that instead of celebrating hate, we celebrate diversity. And that is something that we really need to do in the school system, individually at home. I mean, there are cultures that say, I hate to say this because I am Jewish, by the way, with a name like Bernberg. Yeah, hard to believe. (laughs) Hard to believe. But, you know, they say in in their Bible, you know, we hate Jews or whatever. It's very sad because I had a a woman here, uh, she was a Muslim. Uh, we loved each other one-on-one. We loved each other. Mm-hmm. When we looked at each other in masses, uh, she was hoping that the Israelis would be killed off and, you know, whatever. Oh, uh, she was cheering for the other side. So that's the, it's the way we are brought up and the message that we are given. And then there's this younger culture. To, culture I can't even speak, but we, you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> today, that uh, even my son's, uh, my son made a joke in school, was not a good joke, because they're ignorant of color. They're, it's different. They don't see black and white, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. So he made this joke that God, you know, children, something was born, but then he burnt one, which means with somebody of a darker skin. Well, he got into a lot of trouble. He oh, didn't even God. understand why. He right. said it was funny. So we are today, we've gone uh, all, hopefully in a direction where our children uh, don't explain or describe someone in a different way because they come from a different background, whether it's racial or, or religion or, or whatever that is. So we have to really know our intentions are really what is that moves us forward. When we had, and I'm just looking at this, John Wayne said, whites uh, supremacy, supremacy rules until the blacks are educated. Well, yeah, here we are. Yeah. We're, looking, we're looking at these uh, people in the media, these celebrities, as people who really know what they're saying and doing. Yeah. Not the case. No, no, no not at all. Not, not the case. Not when, at all. When uh, Meryl Streep gets up there with her award and starts talking about politics, what is her stance? What is her right? What is her background to describe this? So we have to also know who to listen to. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, Dr. Birnbaum, I learned just from where I grew up to understand other people's cultures and beliefs and all the rest of it. And it was a huge benefit to me. It didn't, there didn't have to be a bad person to understand what black people are all about. Didn't have to be a bad person to understand Catholics or Jews in my neighborhood. An example, when I was a little boy, I don't know how old I was, maybe nine, 10, something like that. Uh, I, I had some, some money from shoveling walks or whatever it was. So I went to the local delicatessen, you know, Plitman's Deli. I went to on, Pl- on Plymouth Avenue in North Minneapolis. And, I, and the guy said, what, what do you want? And I said, I'd like a roast beef sandwich. And he goes, okay. So what do you want to drink? And I said, because I was a little boy, I said, uh, a glass of milk. And there was a long pause and he said, and I will never forget that as long as I live. Gentile pleasures. It was nice to know that. I thought it was funny that he said it. I could have been offended by that, right? How did you know what he was saying? I didn't. I found out later what what he was saying. Ah. 
but but it was wonderful to find out what he said, you know. Mm-hmm. And he he mm-hmm. didn't mean it to hurt my feelings. He just no. was taking a shot, going, "Sorry, kid, I can't give you that." You know, I was like, "I'm mm-hmm. not going to give you a glass of milk I with see, a roast I beef see. sandwich." It was wonderful. So that that was, but that was done in support and kindness. Yes. It was, so it was done, you know, out of caring and loving, and, the, yep. and so there's, we're talking about diversity. But, you know, a common bond and understanding. When somebody does that in a way uh, where I live, you know, uh, in a uh, more of a Christian area, mm-hmm. and uh, some kids came from a different ethnic group into our deli and was joking, you know, we want white bread and mayonnaise. Well, that wasn't done out of kindness, so it's different. Right. When, you know, when you're looking at somebody and laughing at them rather than laughing with them. No, it, so we need that kind of support in our lives that we can enjoy and uh, learn from each other and know how wonderful it is to be able, first of all, to have a support system, to have values, to believe it's always good, and to realize that we are in this together. Ugh, now I'm preaching. I don't like myself when I'm preaching. Stop. <laughs> I don't do think you are. I don't Just think you are. Stop. We pass in. We don't want to hear you do that. <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, so... We're looking at um, our country as a whole and who the people are that affect us. And we are more supportive than ever over all kinds of uh, racial uh, diversity, uh, gender, ID. Uh, We're looking at people who are older, younger, different body sizes, uh, and uh, bullying. We, we have so much to deal with now, but what's really going on, it's like a pimple that's coming out. You know, it's been there all along, and we are doing and talking about it seriously today in a supportive manner and trying to move forward with this. So we are really in a different time today with trying to be more constructive, uh, with not hiding anything. Uh, there was a, uh, in the Gay Times, there was an editor who uh, made offensive comments about Chinese people, lesbians, transgender people, mm-hmm. and people who are overweight and ugly. I mean, he was fired. But I'm just saying, uh, people today take themselves very seriously. Now, he may not have been fired during Archie Bunker time and may have been thought of as funny. Yeah. But in 2017, he was let go because people are overly sensitive about being discriminated against or being bullied against. I mean, the word bully wasn't even used uh, when I was growing up. So the real question is, is that, is that good or is that bad to have that kind of stigma? Uh, well, there's an awareness to the stigma, but then there's oversensitivity to the person who's being victimized. No, I, and, and going back to that, what I learned, Dr. Birnbaum, was yes. there didn't have to be a bad guy for both of us to be good guys. I can't give you a roast beef sandwich with milk because we don't serve that here. But he didn't go, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking. He didn't do it that way. He just used mm-hmm. a little Yiddish, and mm-hmm. I learned, and we were all happy. So, it, it, Isn't that, that a very important point you just made? It is a very important it's, point. It's the way he said it. So, Dr. Birnbaum, apparently, do you have to go? Cause we, we do just, I have to go? We just heard some beeping. Well, yeah. um, let's see. Do I have to go? 
I have a patient waiting for me in my waiting room. Yes. Well, then I bet uh, <laughs> we better uh, book you another. I'd love to talk to you more about this, Dr. Birnbaum. I really would yeah, love to talk, talk to you. talk forever because there's so much going on in our country today. Yep. Everywhere we look, you know, when you're on the media, it's uh, breaking news. How often can we have breaking news? Well, Every two right. seconds, something's Everything, going yeah. on. Everything's breaking news. And maybe news. Donald Trump makes it breaking news. I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? Something's going on with that. But so, yes, yeah, so this diversity is something that needs to be celebrated and spoken about everywhere. And it's finally out in the open. Mm-hmm. And we can have our younger generation connect in a way that color uh, or, or race or or religion makes really no difference whatsoever. I'm just trying to put closure on this. It's a good thing. And just remember this, take this away with you. Even Donald Trump's daughter is a nice Jewish girl. Don't forget that. You hear that? that? Even (laughs) Donald Trump. What can I tell you? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Birnbaum. That's a very loaded comment, but okay, for next time. No, it's not loaded at all. No, I'm not not at all. Thank you, Dr. Birnbaum. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll be back with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Vilsky. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. I still never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't (laughs) Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. I have to ask everybody in the, in the studio the question um, you know how religious people got far too religious in their beliefs, whether it be Catholic or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. People turned away from religion because there were too many rules and too much judgmental belief and behavior. Well, and too much, uh, a lot of bad things. Yeah, a lot of bad things, too. <laughs> a lot of bad things. Okay, so if you, if you go by those same rules... 
don't people on the way far left understand they're going to desert you like mad because you got a lot of bad behavior coming out of Hollywood, a lot of, you know, rape and, you know, forcing yourself on women and young boys and all that. And you're so extreme, you literally ruin people's lives if they disagree with you. People are going to run away from you just like they ran away from the church. I just, Same thing. I just wonder, though, if the average, I mean, we are entrenched in what's going on in the world because we're yeah. doing this. Yeah, but absolutely. Right? I don't know if the average person who's just getting up and going to work, coming home, mm-hmm. cooking dinner. Right. Right, not doing, to taxes. Yeah, yeah, writing their little checks to taxes and getting their not kids. Not so little checks to taxes. Well, getting their, getting their kids, you know, homework done. Right. Taking them to soccer, karate, whatever it is that they do. Yep. And going to bed and getting up and doing it all over again are concerned with what what the extreme sides of the parties are actually doing. I think that's very true. I don't I don't think they're paying attention. Yep, I think that's which true. Which is bad in a way because I think that I think that the super progressive left is slowly trying to encroach on common sense and decency. You think so? I think so. Um for the American public, and I think the far right is doing kind of the same sort of things. Yeah, I, I and I I just think that most people are just like, hey, I'm just I'm just a Democrat doing my daily life, and I'm just going to vote Democrat. I've always voted that way, and that's yeah. just how it is. And same with Republican, probably. And the same thing with Republicans. I don't. I just don't know if people are paying attention I just to all of this crazy crap. Those extreme views, though, are on the news every night now. I know, but are people watching the news? Are they? I don't. I Viewership don't know. is way down. It's if you way watch, down. if you watch the local news, you don't get the. Mm, I, you I, do I, in this town. You don't. Yeah, and you not do as badly town. as if you watch the national. Well, news. Well, no, no, it's not as bad as national news, but this town. As compared to a lot of other places, you know, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, places like Minneapolis and St. Paul, you get those extreme views on the local news, too. I mean, in, in Minneapolis, we're so focused on the weather all the time. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we spent 15 look, minutes look at, on I mean, the weather. Look at Fred Mertz over there on Channel 4. All he ever does is run the far left view. That's what he does. Who does? Fred Mertz. I can't remember his real name. It's just like Mertz. Fred Mertz from oh, I Love Lucy. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the guy. You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, Fred Mertz. I don't. I mean, I watch matter. Frank and Amelia. <laughs> yeah, you don't watch the news, right? Sometimes, you know, if I'm up late watching the yeah, news. Yeah, Frank and Amelia. Yeah. yeah they're, I just, they're just telling what's going on around town, basically. And I, I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. What I I believe, what I I really can't believe, I should say, is that people on the far right ignore their their misdeeds by their people, and people on the far left ignore the misdeeds of their people. I don't think the average person in the middle wants to put up with that anymore. It's like you can't forgive it just because they believe what you believe. It's horrible behavior. But to leave their party, the people that are, you know, people are so entrenched in that identity. Yeah. I just don't know what it would take for just a middle-of-the-road Democrat or a middle-of-the-road Republican to switch parties, because one party would have to clearly be better than the other one. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about switching parties. I'm talking about the fact that, look, you got 500 people running for for the president on the Democratic ticket, and who's the guy that's leading? The old white guy. Yep. Which is interesting. They profess that they don't want any more old white guys running the show like Donald Trump, but then they go with two old white guys, Bernie Sanders and, and Joe Biden. You know, I, I think these people realize that the extreme views 
are, are just, they're way over the top on both sides of the issue. Oh, by the way, I should mention that you probably don't know this. New laws were passed today. You and I could not go back to Cuba today. Why? Because the Trump administration wiped out all of that stuff. Really? I think you can still go in some cases, but not not under the... Didn't we go under a cultural experience? We went people to people was the visa thing. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. Thing. That's what they called it. Yep, you can't do that anymore. You can't go. You just can't take cruise ships. Well, that's what we did. That's what I'm saying. Wow. Well, you can still go. You just can't take a cruise ship. Well... You got to fly in, yes. Why exactly. are they anti-cruise ships now? What happened with the cruise ships? He just doesn't want anybody going. Eventually, they're going to, to put it back to where it was, where you just can't go. What did Cuba do? Well, I they mean, supported Venezuela, which I think was a huge mistake. Well, they were supporting Venezuela because they wanted to get the oil because exactly their refineries right. were one of the only ways that they made money. That's exactly they're right. A, they're a suffering country. They're I, very poor people. I shouldn't say they supported Venezuela because that would be a good thing. They supported Maduro. Yeah. Who is oh, starving yeah. everyone to death. They basically Venezuela. said that they're doing it because they're supporting Venezuela and communism and that kind of stuff. So Yeah, it was for supporting Maduro and not the other guy. I can't remember the other guy's name. I don't know. I don't remember. How can you live like they do and then go... Yeah, this ideology is working. Let's keep going. Yeah. They, don't know any, they don't know any different. And they've been told from the time they were tiny little kids that this is the only way to be and everybody else is a this and a that and name calling and we're superior to them in every way. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't even have any they haven't they're just starting to get the internet in Cuba. Right. Yeah, they're just that's exactly starting right. to get the internet. Yeah. They've been an it's an isolated island for the most part. Do you know how great it was? Catherine and I hopped on a train uh, in in Palm Beach, in West Palm Beach, <coughs> took the train down to Miami, took an Uber over to the port. the port, got on a cruise ship, went to Cuba, had a wonderful time. The people were terrific to us. Everything was just wonderful. Can't do that anymore. I know. We could not do that again if we tried to do it right now. Well, I'm glad we did it when we did it. I'm wearing a Cuba shirt right now. Yep. Oh, you got a Cuba shirt on right now. There you go. <laughs> Did mom grab that for you in Cuba? Mom and dad, uh, I got the Cuba shirt. I got my Cuba hat. I wonder if I can still wear that. You can still wear it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's the fact that they support Maduro, and Maduro, of, of course, is treating the Venezuelans like dirt. Well, Cuba is in, like once again, they're entrenched in that communist. So mm -hmm. they, you know, they're calling themselves socialists now, but. They are. It's a communist it is, country. Yeah. yeah, they have a strong belief that they're yeah. morally superior. And they're only yeah, they going do. to align with countries and governments that feel that that's the way to rule. Yeah, because that's they, unbelievable. They would look bad, once again, oh, being embarrassed or looking bad or mm -hmm. admitting that something's not right. working is the worst thing that can possibly happen to anybody, right? Yeah. You know, it, how, how, how did Venezuela screw it up so bad? Because Norway is pretty much a socialist kind of a government. It is, and they yeah. have the one yep. industry, oil, which supports that government. Oil yeah. and gas supports and that government. And a small population. So how? So there must be an incredible amount of corruption in Venezuela. Oh, there's that really bad. Really is, is <laughs> really bad. It's screwed so up bad. that oil industry. Because mm -hmm. this has been going on. This They're has been going on it. for 30 years. The, the, the oil industry... Was you know was nationalized about 35 years ago, that shut down the largest refinery in Aruba because that's where the oil came from was right. from Venezuela, right. and they've been slowly you know fettering this sort of resource away. Mm -hmm. So now they don't have an industry. Right. Exactly. It is amazing. Venezuela, I guess, is the most oil-rich country on earth, and they don't they can't sell it anymore. Well, 
Well, well they're going to have to privatize it or something or again, something. or get a new political regime in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I well, mean, they, I know they tried, but... Are they skimming? They must be selling some oil. Are they oh, skimming all that profit? Sure oh, so, yeah. oh, so oh, Maduro's yeah. going to go, oh, I got a little bit of money over in Africa or in Switzerland, and, you know, I, geez, I don't know where that came from, but I, I guess I skimmed <laughs> yeah. it off the oil industry. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but it's over there, and I'm going to be spending it the rest of my I, life. It, it's it, too bad. It's heartbreaking to see that the people Absolutely. are, you know, starving in the streets while these stupid politicians just... Mm-hmm. Play cards with their lives. It's horrible. No, the favelas are starving. There yeah. are there's a middle class that is not starving. So someone's no, support, yeah. someone supporting him in some way mm-hmm. that says, "Oh, this isn't all that bad." You know, even though price is a little high, you know, this isn't all that bad. So, uh, you know, I don't quite understand how he's staying in power. If there's that many people who really are starving, you know, well, geez, you know, you, at some point you say, "I'm, I'm going to starve," or "Am I going to get killed right. trying to get some food over there?" I, seriously, I, I would, we are so happy, and I'm really happy now that we went since we wouldn't be able to go anymore the way we did, mm-hmm. you know, to, to take a cruise ship over there. Because I would rather be – I liked to go on the island, but then I liked to get off. All but one night we got off the island and stayed on the boat, right? One, right. Night, one night we stayed in Havana because it was on the other side of the island from where we were at uh, San, San Fuego. A hundred fires. That was the name of the town. But we couldn't do that again. No. So I don't know if I'd want to fly there and stay in a hotel for seven, eight days. Well, I kind of like the idea of being able to just rev up the engines and go. <laughs> <You know, laughs> if there's like, any we problems. Gotta go. We got to go. <laughs> like, Pe- I, no I one's telling you. me I can't go. <laughs> the people were tremendously friendly. The only downside is, of course, there are a lot of beggars. There are a lot of beggars were in there, Cuba. Really? Oh, yeah. Lots. I didn't see any more than walking around in any American city. Really? Are you kidding me? That one guy, I finally had to tell that one guy. Remember, we were in the, the, I don't know, was it a cigar shop or what? Remember that guy that kept falling around everybody going, money, 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 dollar, dollar. Remember that guy? No, I didn't didn't see him. Oh, yeah, you weren't at the back of the pack. So I finally told him, you got to go, man. I can't listen to this anymore. You got to go. And so he did. He just left. But... Seriously, they, there was well, a lot. I of mean, that when your salary is twenty, thirty bucks a month, and that's twenty like, bucks, don't 30, be overstated. Thirty bucks with 30 if you're bucks. the pharmacist. So yeah. if you have an or advanced if, degree, you might get thirty bucks a month. Somebody yeah, gives you ten dollars, yeah. it can change your life. It's true, absolutely. So I don't blame well, them for begging. No, I understand. But I, you know, go downtown Minneapolis. People are begging. You go downtown anywhere. Oh, people are begging constantly near. everywhere. I, I park across from Maddle Law on 8th Street and yep. head up and down there. There's always somebody hitting me up for money. Constantly. And basically, I just go, get the hell away from me, and they do. So that's the good thing. I, I just, I will not give money to beggars. I won't do it because most of them do it for a living. They're not trying to get by. In America, day. there's basically an infinite capacity for both jobs and welfare. Absolutely. What do you need to beg for? Exactly. Can, there's no. Because what yeah, difficulty yeah. getting money if you you just have to ask for it and the government will give it to you. Remember that meeting well, we had over there about a, about a, a month more ago. Complicated than that. Guy yeah. walks up to my. I'm getting out of the car. Guy walk, walks up to me. The handful of change starts shaking it at me like I'm supposed to give him money. Mm. Like, get out of here. What's wrong with you? But Andy's right. Infinite job opportunity, infinite welfare uh, resources, and they're still begging, which is way out of line. One point two trillion, or one point one trillion dollars in welfare spending just in one year. In what state? What does that include? Does that include the United Medicare States. and the United States? Yeah, 
1.1 trillion dollars. How much is that for every man, woman, and child? Uh, that's a good question. One, well, it's a thousand billion, so that's pretty good. Uh, divided by three hundred is. Are we up to three fifty yet? No, not yet. I don't think. But I, yeah, million. we probably are. But say three. Some of it's not reported. Three fifty million. Let's see. Some of it's just not reported, so you can't really count it. I guess I don't know. Whatever. Wow. I mean, you know, when whenever you travel and you go to touristy areas, you're going to have panhandlers. That's three thousand dollars per person per year. Three thousand bucks a person. So, hey, well, that's including like babies and stuff. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, so a family, a family might be able to pick up, you know, fifteen thousand a year. And and by the way, that does not include things like that. Doesn't include all housing and everything. That's just welfare. Uh, it includes housing. Is oh, it, it does include down that? probably to... housing, medical care, all that, all those yeah. pieces. Well, I know that I I have a friend that ran a construction company, and you know you have to hire people of all. They tell you which skin color you can hire, the right. gender you can hire, all that stuff. And he had a a real hard time hiring anybody at twenty bucks an hour, because they said, "Well, you already make nineteen dollars an hour on welfare." Yeah, why what, why bother getting a job? So said, why bother getting a job? Yeah, that's been a problem for a long time, yeah. especially for um, for women who, if they're married and they would like to make. And, but they're getting benefits. Mm-hmm. They can only work so many hours and make so much right, money before right. they can't yeah. have the benefits anymore. That's very true. And it's like, should I? What should I do here? Oh, that number was only federal, by the way. There's another two thousand per person on the state so level. So it's five grand. So it's per five thousand per person. That's interesting. Told. You say that because we I checked out some some of the new uh, sampling, you know, like ratings for television. The average person who takes part in ratings for television, the family income is twenty five grand a year. Yeah, so that's probably so that's welfare. That's basically oh, five people man. on welfare. Yeah, that's people on welfare that get the, they, that get the. I don't know. There are little units you plug into your TV or something. I don't, yeah. I've never even seen. Was that one. Nielsen? Yeah, okay. and you plug it into your television, but I've never even seen. One. I don't know anybody's ever had one. No. So how accurate is that? Yeah. So how are they going to plug that into your car radio during drive time? Yeah, good luck. Well, well, they you know they do these little monitors, but we got to take a break. Be right back. Special guest coming up in just a couple of minutes with the family. Tom here for Saber Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Saber and Bryant are teaming up to offer zero percent financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Saber. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. I'm talking to Neil Sheehy, ex-NHL defenseman. Neil, you've had great success following the Nutramost Wellness Plan. How much weight did you lose? Tom, I dropped over 63 pounds in 44 days. But more importantly, I know how to keep it off. That's great. What makes Nutramost different from all of those other programs out there? In addition to my success, I have two brothers and two sisters who had great success on the Nutramost wellness program. And collectively, we all lost a total of 222 pounds on the program. My brother and I were so impressed that we decided to open up a clinic in Plymouth. Find out how and why Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss plan by attending the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, June 4th at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Register for the Nutramost dinner or schedule your immediate consultation. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. We 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. Our very special guest, Dragon's Jaw, an epic story of courage and tenacity in Vietnam. Barrett Tillman, how are you? I'm just fine. I'm glad to hear it. A riveting Vietnam War story, one of the most dramatic in aviation history, told by a New York Times bestselling author and a prominent aviation historian. Uh, it's so interesting, Mr. Tillman, because uh, the Vietnam era, that ended pretty much, what, in 19... 19- 70, right around there, the Vietnam War ended? <laughs> well, it ended in 1973. 73, okay. The U.S. And, yeah, and I'm Stephen Kuntz. I'm the, uh, the novelist, and uh, Barrett was a researcher. And uh, we put this puppy together, and uh, he, he researched for five years, and I, I wrote on it for about eight months. So uh, he knows more about it than I do, but I had a lot of fun writing it up. Well, yeah, I mean, so so you go back. So when did the Vietnam War officially start? So it ended in 73. When did it actually start well, with the French? Well, you know, uh, John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, uh, started feeding money and uh, military uh, advisors in the South Vietnam. Uh, he he uh, started that when he first took over as the president. The Eisenhower administration had done it, too, mm-hmm. since 1954, when the North and South were partitioned on All right. the uh, 17th parallel. And uh, But Kennedy decided, you know, that uh, he was going to make a stand against communism, and so he increased the... Uh, the uh, military and uh, the amount he was given to South Vietnam uh, during his administration. Uh, when he was assassinated uh, in 1973, it all fell into Lyndon Johnson's lap. Mm-hmm. And you may recall that the Gulf of Tonkin incident in 1964 happened right before the election, and President Johnson decided to get the United States even heavier and heavy, more heavily involved mm-hmm. and uh, started bombing the North. And uh, so by 1965, the uh, Dragon's Jaw Bridge was a strategic target and came under air attack from American forces. Unfortunately, they didn't knock it down for seven years until 1972. And that's what this story is about. I mean, against the Dragon's Shaw Bridge at Danois on uh, about eight, 8 to 10 miles inland from the Gulf of Tonkin, 80 miles south of Hanoi, and about halfway down to the 17th parallel. You know, I, got a, I have a personal connection to this because my oldest brother, who's nine years older than me, uh, went to Vietnam in that era. And I do remember they, there, there was a great book written called 365 Days about, a, a, a you know, a, the, the year of duty uh, in Vietnam. But my brother was in the United States Marine Corps at the time. And when he went to Vietnam, I might have been, in, I don't know, it was 64, 60, 65, probably, I don't know, because he might have been in the middle of 64. You know, that, was a, was, that was the era when President Johnson <laughs> kept upping the amount of troops yes. in South Vietnam. Yep. And... Uh, you know, they were, the, the theory was that uh, the United States would just keep incre- slowly increasing military pressure on North Vietnam until North Vietnam agreed to negotiate 
and give up its uh, ambition to reunite the country under communist rule. Of course, they found out the hard way that that isn't the way you fight a war. Right. And we cover that pretty extensively in this book because as the context for the bombing of the North and the campaign against the bridge. Kind of so amazing, guy, because I remember he, you know, 365 days was the standard. But when my brother Terry was there, he got extended by another six to eight months. So he was almost there. Well, not almost two years, but uh, over a year and a half he was in, in Vietnam. And I, I remember one of the things he told me when he got because I was talking to him. I was when he got back home, I think was, I was only about 15 years old, something like that. Uh-huh. And I was asking and talking about, you know, why they did the things they did or, you know, you know why, why we were involved in the first place. And there was a, a story about how <laughs> if they didn't win in Vietnam, that the Chinese would go through Vietnam to get to Australia. And there were all these stories about, you know, what was going on. And, and I said, what is that like, jungle fighting? And he said, the amazing thing about that is, is that they would ask the prisoners who are the best jungle fighters in the world. And they wouldn't name America. And finally, my brother asked one of the prisoners, why don't you include Americans? And he said, because they remove the, the jungle and then they fight. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> so yeah. that's how they felt about it. They just bombed the hell out of them, from what I understand. Yeah, we, uh, American air power and on-the-ground firepower was the military advantage that the United States tried to use to you know, ratchet North Vietnam to a peace table. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they, they grossly misread the North Vietnamese. They didn't understand the uh, benefits of an absolute dictatorship conferred on the North Vietnamese leadership. And they also didn't understand how tightly North Vietnam was committed to reuniting the country under their rule. And so, obviously, it didn't work for President Johnson. He... Mm-hmm. Uh, the war was going to hell. The American public was sick of it. And so in 1968, after the Tet Offensive, he announced he wasn't going to run for public office again. Right. And so at that point, Richard Nixon was elected in November 68 and took over. And uh, to his credit, Nixon had a lot more balls than Johnson did. And he also had the uh, services of Henry Kissinger, Dr. Henry Kissinger, a Harvard professor of political science, mm-hmm. as his national security advisor. And the world was slowly changing. The Russians and the Chinese wanted better relationship with the United States. And Kissinger was right there, you may remember, in July 1972, with China, uh, first official visit, and began the process the diplomatic relations with the People's Republic and also uh, negotiated with the Soviets, the SALT-1 Treaty, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty, and that made nuclear war certainly more uh, uh, distant, less likely, which was one of the reasons that uh, the Kennedy and Johnson is a given for being in Vietnam in the first place. And, but, uh, Finally, Nixon increased the pressure to the point that the North Vietnamese did go to the negotiating table and sign a ceasefire and agreed that they would stop their assault on the South 
and the uh, POWs came home in February 1972, and the United States quit bombing the North and removed all its troops from South Vietnam, except for some advisors. Mm-hmm. Of course, the uh, North Vietnamese, they were uh, perfidious. They didn't tell the truth. And so in 1975, that spring, they invaded the South with a full-scale army, and uh, the United States Congress refused to aid the South Vietnamese, so South Vietnam collapsed. You may remember in 75, the United States staged the largest helicopter uh, lift in history and took 40,000 people out of Vietnam. All the Americans were left, along with about 30,000 North or South Vietnamese. And, of course, the North Vietnamese overran the country, uh, killed about 300,000 people, uh, executed them for supporting the South Vietnamese, the Lakers, and also uh, the Cambodians. They took over all three countries. And... Uh, so 300,000 people were slaughtered, and the United States went home. And so, you know, it, it was a debacle, a political debacle, a military debacle. Yeah, I don't really understand. Why didn't the United States want to get in? They waited for the French to leave Vietnam before they, they went in. Why didn't they just go in when the French were there? Because they didn't want the children to show well, what? The, uh, the United States, you know, wanted to somehow put a stop to the spread of communism. you got to remember this was all Cold War era stuff in mm-hmm. the late 50s and 1960s. And, uh, it, uh, as a matter of fact, due to the American stand in South Vietnam, the communist uh, attempted takeover of Indonesia was fought bitterly, and uh, they slaughtered uh, communists and threw them in the rivers and prevented Indonesia from going communist. And they to, did to the lesser extent in uh, the Philippines, although the Philippines today still has some ind- indigenous communist guerrillas. But, but it did stop the spread of communism past mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. So, you know, 58,000 Americans paid with their lives, over a million Vietnamese it, it almost seems like the, uh, you know, the great uh, struggle between the titans, the communist giants, and the, the uh, republics of the West had to take place in this, you know, mosquito uh, swamp down in South Vietnam and North Vietnam, and, and as a proxy, if you will, for a nuclear war, which never happened, and and the world changed, and so. China decided they wanted to become part of the world order. They opened their uh, borders to trade, normalized relations. Communism collapsed in the Soviet Union in 1991. And uh, even Vietnam became almost a a free market autocracy, if you will, like China. And uh, is today uh, lives by foreign trade. And the uh, economic status of its citizens has increased probably four, five, six times what it was in the early 70s. God, it's an amazing story. Looking back and being a, a young boy and then a teenager and 
watching all those guys come back from from Vietnam and they were being spit upon at the airports and people chanting uh, hateful things at them. That that was, and then of course uh, in the late '60s at that same time, we would lose Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, and it was a that the world at that time in the late '60s was a complete disaster. It was unbelievably. Uh, uh, there it was, and, and you know, the amazing thing was that somehow the soldiers who got drafted or who volunteered to escape the draft mm-hmm. and the airmen and the guys, they went to Vietnam because the U.S. government sent them there, and they got blamed for the whole mess. Right. And and so they, they came home, and they were spit upon in airports. Uh, you know, it was unbelievable, as if... And of course, two hundred thousand, at least more than that. Actually, probably three to four hundred thousand young men went to Canada to escape the draft, mm-hmm. and pardoned them if they would file an, an application for a pardon. And two hundred thousand of them did, and returned to the United States. So it was a it was a real royal mess. Uh, and it was probably uh, the worst political mess since the American Civil War. No, I don't think there's any question. You know, it's, it's interesting. The, the, I'm seeing parallels. Uh, and now we have this incredible hatred in America. And Tom, in more than one uh, time, has said that he fears uh, you know, assassinations in America for right. political beliefs and things like that. Yep. And we are embroiled in wars trying to keep uh, a cer- a certain, uh, certain religious groups from taking over certain countries, uh, whether that's Afghanistan uh, or it's Iraq and things like that, and the influence of, of religion, and I, I itched that there are some very scary parallels in that regard, and, yeah. and our actions in some of those countries are very similar to what I've seen in Vietnam. So, well, you know, the real the real problem was the it, these foreign wars, these brush fire wars, if you will, are really the burden of empire. You know, Britain fought them throughout the 19th century into the 20th century. And uh, then when Britain sort of went bankrupt after World War II, it became America's turn. And so America ended up fighting in Vietnam. And uh, finally, you know, in the Middle East, all these little Middle Eastern conflicts, if you will, or wars. If they, if you get killed over there, it's a war. And so, you know, it's... Uh, I don't think the American public really has come to grips with this burden of empire thing and the fact that somebody's got to keep uh, keep peace in the world, at least in some of the worst spots. And if they don't, you know, the, the entire world order is going to, you know, go into anarchy. It seems like Dragon's Jaw, an epic story of courage and tenacity in Vietnam. The book is available on Amazon and everywhere else. Thank you so much for your time today. A fascinating subject. Well, thank you for having me on, and uh, anybody that wants to read more about it can obviously look it up on the website, uh, Kuntz.com, C-O-O-N-T-S.com. Wonderful. You guys have a great day. You too, sir. Thank you. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. 